everybody's getting gobbled up by these the same companies. It's like you have Oracle or or Salesforce or uh, Intuit, I guess now, and, and and they're just forming these massive monoliths, which is kind of scary or kind of good because like having worked with a lot of B two B tech, and like every piece of B2B tech I've worked with has been bought by somebody and and they don't align to the stack that you have in place. So you're like, is this going to work? Not going to work? Like, how is this all going to happen? Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. All right, guys, I got to give another shout out to a quick sponsor of the show, Chili Piper. Did you guys know that 60% of inbound leads don't convert to a meeting and that you can double your inbound conversions by eliminating the waiting period between the form fill and the meeting? And so with Chili Piper, you can turn those leads into meetings instantly with intelligent rules that auto qualify and route leads in real time. Also, you never let leads fall through the crack because they have a two-way sync with your CRM, which just helps also give you clean attribution on those leads at the end of the day. So with Chili Piper, you have no more leaky funnel. Instead, you've got more leads, more meetings, and more pipeline. Start turning leads into meetings today with Chili Piper. Visit chilipiper.com slash leaders to learn more. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. Got another exciting episode for you today. I'm stoked to welcome Paul Cowan. He is the Chief Marketing Officer of FreshBooks. I know many of you are in the small business to medium business size realm, and you are certainly familiar with their accounting software. So, Paul, welcome. Please uh, do an intro. Tell us about you know what you're doing, what you're up to, and I'd uh, love to jump into the story. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. Uh, it's great, great to be here. So first, I'm Paul Cowan. As you said, I'm, I, I run marketing over at uh, FreshBooks. So you know, for those folks who don't know, FreshBooks is a um, accounting platform in the SaaS space. We, you know, help owners manage their their business and 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 their books. And and our our platform is specifically made for for folks who who aren't really financial managers or people who who really love doing accounting. So we, you know, we compete with the likes of QuickBooks or Zero. And and you know, unlike them, our our accounting platform is really kind of focused more on 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 owners and having things like a nice UI and and something that people like to go into every day as opposed to being built for accountants, which uh, can sometimes be a headache for for business owners. I personally love hacking my general ledger. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, who does doing my own doing my own manual accruals? But yeah, yeah if you it, don't know what that means, FreshBooks is probably a fantastic it, option. For you. Exactly. <laughs> Most people get really, really excited about a flexible chart of accounts. That's it's it's always Absolutely. a big passion that people have. <laughs> <laughs> I am I'm the guy that made my own taxonomy for five digit account numbers. You know, so yeah. I, but I, I I have used the software. It's it's an awesome tool, and I remember building some of my early services practices on uh, particularly the invoicing 
capabilities because it's just it's hard to ask people for money. So. Yeah, it's it's true, and and I mean we've been around for uh, about fifteen years now, and and it's funny because the company was built out of that that problem. Like our our founder, of course, like most people, had a problem with invoicing back in the mid two thousands when all of the invoicing platforms were like desktop based and there was nothing in the cloud and it was really hard for for small businesses to do that so it, it's been kind of something core for us to be really focused on how do you as you know how do you, how do you keep focusing on owners and, and helping them run their business and that's how we kind of evolved into this uh, this fun accounting space so I've, I've been at the company now for for two years in the uh, in the chair I think I just passed my two-year anniversary I, I came in like like most companies who are looking for a CMO they had problems and I came in to try to help help solve some problems and uh, and so it's been a, a fun little ride it's we've been really kind of focused on growth and We've done some closed some funding rounds recently that gave us like that, you know, the the unicorn status, which is great. And but of course it's all about like the drive for for you know continued market expansion, getting outside of just North America, um, building a, a, a true global kind of company. So so that's kind of what what the the challenge that I came on to take and to build an appropriate team to do that stuff and you know, get get uh, the team organized and rallied around that. It it brings up a question to me and i i see this happening in small businesses all the time and i wonder you know what the experience was like is saying sorting out the problems that marketing can solve versus the problems that are actually you know sort of live somewhere else but can uh, manifest as a place that you you might think marketing can solve you know and it's that the holistic view of the business and going you know how would i move kpi x uh, from the marketing seat. And it really takes, I imagine, a whole lot of collaboration. But I'd, I'd love to see, you know, what what were some of those problems without, you know, sort of saying anything that you can't say. But, uh, you know, what would that look like? And how do you sort out what you can and can't address from that particular dimension of the business? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's it's kind of, it's it's interesting. Like, what, first off, like, you know, why I came into the this business was, you know, I'm 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 not someone who's like super passionate about accounting, but I I love small businesses, and and because I've uh, in my career I've kind of flip flop between being a entrepreneur or a small business owner or a founder of a company to working in large corporate environments. So, kind of one of one of the things uh, that I got excited about in coming in here was about like I I know the audience pretty well. I know what it's like to start up a business. I know all the pains that you go through. Like you're mentioning, like. You know, earlier, like, hey, it's 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 a real challenge to like invoice someone and ask for money, and and that's real. That's real. Fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, it's real today, and so um, you know, it's it. What we really focus on is like, hey, how do we how do we make these moments much more easy to manage and to maneuver through? So you know, what what is great is you know, I, for good or bad, really want to know and understand the product and, and understand like, what are the pains and the gains and that we're, we're solving for. And so, you know, when, when we're getting into the, the big challenges that we need to solve for, we've got things like, you know, we're trying to expand channels, we're trying to expand markets, we're trying to land new segments. Um, our big area is like, hey, we, we've been great at getting freelancers and solopreneurs and kind of in, in the individuals in into our platform but where people kind of move out of our business is when they get bigger and you know we we were chatting a little before about 
you know, the fact that you use it, and then you, you may have gone to a competitor, but that's natural. Like as businesses get bigger, their accountant says, hey, go over to QuickBooks and something or something like that. And we're, we're trying to so- solve for that. So so one of the things that we're, we're actively working on is like, how do we manage this customer migration path? And, and how, do we, how do we make sure that we're addressing this within product, within marketing, everywhere? And so I think the, the you know, the main focus that we have is like, you know, what, one thing that we've, we've really focused on on marketing and, and specifically within our product marketing group is how do we make sure that we're kind of really up funnel in the strategic or product planning process to make sure that we're guiding the segment strategy and telling our product teams the real kind of things that we need to be focusing on and and not get into like this kind of feature feature creep and just like just just ship a whole crap load of features but really focus on like the user experiences that we can create that are, are really solving for workflows that small business owners have so you know the good thing is is you know one of the things that I came in to do was to you know bring together all of the facets of marketing together but then also w- work with product and get the better a better system working between marketing and product so we are always kind of having the customer at the core of everything that we are doing do you think about that as a, a product led growth type of strategy is very common in a, a SaaS sort of world where you don't have the opportunity to interface with every client, you know, in a sort of a high touch type of environment. So in essence, that UX and the experience of the customer really drives what happens next. And to do that, we have to drive up usage because if they're not in the tool, we can't have the tool facilitate growth for us. Yeah. It's, 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 it's kind of funny. Cause like, I think, you know, we, we've had this kind of heyday of product led organizations, um, especially in the SaaS world. And, and I think like, yeah, they're great. And, and they're great. Like I think great product led organizations come when you have an organization that really understands the customer pain point. So I've been in a few companies where, you know, a founder is really close to product. Uh, they build it, but they've they've got traction because they had a pain point that they really, really understood well. Once companies start to grow and you still maintain this product-oriented culture, you can kind of get into a bit of an echo chamber, and you need to to make sure you are are constantly going back and bringing customer touch points into it because yeah, for the most part, uh, what I find most product orgs love to do is develop product. They may not love to develop product that actually is marketable or commercialized and or or has lots of, of, of utility or, or ability to expand uh, user engagement and, or solve problems for customers. They like to solve problems that might be technical in nature. Or they might be, like to solve problems that are, are big engineering feats. So I think that that what we what we need to do is make sure that you know we're we're constantly hiring the right people that have that balance between you know looking at like the big technical innovations and in, uh, that we could can look at, but but then also just really being focused on 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 the customer. And that's like that's like one of the hardest things to kind of keep real within within an organization and how you keep organizations coming back to that because like you said you lose touch and and if you have a, a very high, uh, uh, you know a, a, a service that's not as high touch as like that might go through like enterprise or mid-market SaaS then then just how you make sure you bring in the voice of the customer back into everything you do is is uh, is pretty critical yeah I, I am from the ilk of people who run businesses that have dozens, maybe hundreds of customers. I cannot begin to conceptualize how I would consume tens of thousands or millions of customer inputs and that that wouldn't devolve into just some kind of like average customer persona or voice that really doesn't represent any one of those 
data points. That always felt like a challenge to me. And I, I know that's what you have to do at the scale you all are at. Yeah. And, and like, it was, it was interesting because before I came to FreshBooks, I was, I was over at Shutterstock and I was running our enterprise and, and SMB marketing team. And so about half the revenue at Shutterstock is, is kind of self-serve and that goes through the e-com platform. And then half is, is, is enterprise and SMB. And, and, and the bigger portion of that is really kind of like on the SME side. So like mid-market ish and, and a little bit below. And so we, like, I, I, it was great for me because like, you know, our growth area was trying to go into enterprise and do corporate deals. And I was the customer. So I'm like, like I could go on sales pitches and sell our product better than any of the salespeople could. Cause I could, I could identify all the pain points and reach across the table and, and grab a director of marketing and shake them by the lapels and say, come on, you Dumbo, this is the future of the way you need to do it. And here's how you have to reorganize your team. And, and it was great because, you know, I, I, I had the respect of the sales org. I could go talk to the product team and all of that kind of stuff where, where now, like, I mean, I'm in a, in a spot where I, we have to market to everybody from a, a uh, dog walker over in Boise, Idaho to uh, someone running an OTT uh, enterprise service um, uh, platform uh, over in Florida. And so, you know, we have such a wide array of customers that the thread we're always looking for. So we can't run like ABM marketing plays yet. You know, we, we may be able to, as we develop our, our accounting feature set to be more competitive with some of the bigger players, but like our, our path is to do that. So, but we have to keep kind of like, how do we keep the core of like that full timer while still then growing with, uh, with these larger businesses. And so we're doing like, we're layering on a lot of stuff, which is adding a lot of complexity and 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 friction within within departments and teams and all this kind of stuff. So the the, the thing we're always doing, like we run voice of customer programs, we're constant where we weekly we are reaching out and talking to to customers with the good, the bad, the ugly about what their experiences are for us. And everybody from like folks down in South Africa to Australia to to the UK and 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 then over in the States and just like trying to understand what what all of the different types of challenges that people are and and do that de-averaging because I think like once you average everything out you'll lose you'll lose all of the context so with with what we're doing we're always trying to make sure that we don't lose like these customer voice programs so that we can see them we can see the whites of their eyes the challenges that they're having the real kind of emotional things that they're doing and uh and and just kind of get that visceral feel for for what's going on because if we don't have that then it's 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 absolutely lost yeah, absolutely. And so where does it where does the solution fit relative to a QuickBooks online zero? I think people are familiar with these things and you're right, it's like at a certain size I sort of go, well, I'm going to outsource accounting and billing and uh, there's an impact from the market then the influencer is essentially out of my company. You know, honestly, I don't care. I don't want to do this anymore. Thus, I'm using the platform you know, that comes from that, that outside influencer. So uh, you must have a B2B scope and aggregator mindset in order to go out and say, I got to capture accountants and bookkeeping firms and, uh, you know, all those folks, because th that's the place where I kind of go, you know, like I'm actually out as an owner now. I, you're not actually going to sell that to me. Yeah. So, so that's the, that's the space that we're, we're pushing into. So, you know, uh, we, we've been in and out of, of, of having like the, our accountants as, as the folks who are, are loading people onto our platform. And, and to be honest, it's simply because they didn't use it. So it's, it's just like, 
you know, everybody gets angry with Facebook or Instagram or TikTok when they make a, U, a, a UX change because it doesn't look familiar. And so, you know, we're we're you know developing some core features and functionality that they need to have. Um, but we're we're starting to work with those communities to bring them on board so that they can say, hey, and how, how do I use this? How how can I I kind of evolve my accounting practice? And we're kind of looking at the future of where accounting and bookkeeping is going as opposed to, you know, as opposed to just being like, hey, go and run your your business or your firm like you would you did for the last 20 years when you were running QuickBooks. But it's like you have clients that can do 90% of the the data entry work and, and some of that activity. And what you can be is that trusted advisor and the person who's actually just going to be helping provide kind of the the business advice as opposed to just like entering the numbers or doing the data entry. So, you know, we're really looking to that that future of like what what does the role of automation play uh, in the lives of folks, and and how can we kind of just make all of this stuff much more easy to to actually put in and get out? So let me ask you, like, how your journey evolved? Because you talk about having jobs, being founder, having job, being founder, and you know different things like that, and uh, that's not typical in my experience. A lot of my guests sort of once they took the trip to being self-employed, you know, kind of never went back. So I'd love if you'd tell the story of walking through that, that journey. Uh, absolutely. So, you know, I've, I've always had like a bit of a entrepreneurial kind of bend to anything I've done, like, hey, whether it's like, hey, I, I, I grew up when I was like, you know, at, at 12 years old, I was cutting lawns and then my dad was taking a, a rake because <laughs> I had to pay him for the use of the lawnmower and gas. And so I learned like cogs and, and cost and, a good soul. What? Yeah. <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff. And, and, and I was like, so I was, I was like charging 30 bucks a lawn and he was taking $11 per. So, I mean, he, he was, he was pretty aggressive, I believe. And I think I could have rented the equipment Decent for net margin for a service business. But, yeah. I was, you know, I was pretty happy with it. Yeah. So it was okay. But, um, you know, I, I always had this, uh, um, this this desire to do stuff like I you know and, and through high school I was doing stuff like bootlegging booze I got like some really great fake ID and 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 started to understand <laughs> the, the the wonderful the wonderful world of supply and demand and uh, and 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 just like I personally uh, ran the eighth grade fencing operation so, <laughs> there you, know, you go <laughs> it turns out zero cost of goods sold is great yeah. like, I don't know why everybody doesn't do that <laughs> yeah it's but it's it's funny it's like hey price elasticity it's it's amazing what you can actually just charge for for this stuff. So it, it was interesting. So like through, you know, I, I got into advertising um, early in my career. Uh, it was in like the, 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 the late nineties when the economy wasn't doing so hot and it, it was a little bit of a challenging market to be in. And, but it was, I love marketing. I love the whole, like I, I worked a little bit in event marketing through like university and high school and stuff. So it's just like a natural kind of evolution for me. I then quickly realized I have to get the hell out of advertising because I, I, I was, you know, I, well, just put it as like, I, you know, when, when you're with the person taking the call at five, it's better to be the one that's making the call at five. But really, it was more about like ownership and 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 accountability. And so I just said, I'm like, I want to get into a spot where I could actually guide as much of the direction in the strategy as I possibly could. So I, you know, I went into a, a excited home, uh, into a, a division up here in, in Canada where I am. Um, and then early 2000s, everything, you know, uh, the whole dot-com bubble, uh, burst. And, and that was kind of my first like, hey, now I got to figure something else out to do. And so there was a ton of really smart people at Excite. And so we had went and built a company that, that sold remnant advertising inventory from the internet. So this is like 2001. 
when um so if you think about it, it it really was like a precursor to programmatic but we just did it through like insertion orders and uh and doing deals with different portals and so that was like my first like company that i built and was like okay go and do this and run it and it was driven like really out of necessity because like there was four of us when none of us had jobs i'm a marketing guy there's a sales guy there's a tech guy and there's a bd guy and we said hey how about we go and do this we just like Brought, had the band and did it and uh, and 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 so it was just funny because we did it out of necessity. My first real lesson there was like, um, you you have to pick your business partners better than you would ever pick your your partner or spouse or, or and and so it's just one of those things where we just ended up, you know, after two years, I'd been like out on the road and selling and selling and selling and doing stuff and building deals and and you know we were doing great, like the company was doing well, but I'm like I'm not learning what I wanted to learn as a marketer, and uh, and so sold the company back to uh, two of the folks. And then I went off to, and I said, I got to learn how to be a marketer in a big company. So I went over to a telco and Roger uh, called Rogers uh, up in uh, Canada, went into the wireless space. My, my thing has always been like, you know, find a wave and, and, and ride it and like, and then find, pair it with something that you love. So I'm like, wireless seems to be taking off. I like, I like this stuff and I love technology. So I'm like, I'll just combine those kind of three things from a Venn diagram standpoint and do that for the next five and a half years. And that was just like, you know, large company, um, you know, it's kind of company that has sports teams and, and wireless and internet and, and cable and all of that kind of stuff. So it was like a large, large organization and just learned how to do like the company politics and all of that kind of stuff. And then I flipped back into a startup, like, and, and again, like at that time was like the, the, the late two thousands and social media was taking off. So went and, and built a firm with a few folks that was like, we'll do anything for social media money. And, and so I started building Facebook apps and all of this kind of stuff. Then we built a SaaS platform. Uh, it was a company called Sync Apps and that, that then like got an advertising platform, analytics platform, all this kind of stuff and built the company up to be to, you know, in the, in the, the, the low millions, like, you know, we were doing, doing around 20 million in, in, in revenue um, annually. And, and it was a great business great business. And then all of the acquisitions happened in our category and we had to reinvent. And so I, at that point, that was four years in, I said, great, thanks. I'm, I've, I've just done this whole ride of building this company up. I'm, I'm out, went over to, went to the toy industry, did that for a little bit, uh, then got into Shutterstock and now I've ended up at FreshBooks. So oh, in, in between there, I actually did a food tech startup which was a like at the time where Maple and Munchery were were kind of taking off. I launched a company right around the same time, doing this the full stack food service with multiple kitchens across. Um, we focused on Toronto as our market, and and built that up and uh, and got an incredible amount of learning from from that experience as well. Yep. Yeah. You invested in your learning the same way that I yeah. did. Yeah. The the funny thing is, I think like careers are a funny topic because like. Like some people will say, hey, wow, you have like this really kind of like interesting career path that you've done this stuff. Most of the time, it, it it really wasn't a lot of my own doing. It's like, yeah, sure. I tried to work at some different companies. I've I focused my sights on a few different things, but uh, like it, none of it was by design. None, I was never like, hey, I need to have like startup experience and I need to have this experience. It was just stuff that I, I naturally gravitated towards and, and just like interested me from a from a from a, a intellectual exercise or just from a pure stimulation experience, but it's uh, you know I, I've I've learned market categories that I'll never go into again. One being toy, <laughs> I'll never go in with with touch the toy category again, and I'll never touch the food category because I'm not nearly passionate enough about 
food and and having worked with a bunch of very passionate food people, I just don't like to work with them. So it's it's one of those <laughs> right, things where right. it's like their their passion is going to exceed mine and they'll win the argument even though if I know they're wrong. So that it's, was my uh, B2C and direct to consumer experience. Like, well, I'm never doing that again. So yeah, thank yeah. you for <laughs> thank you for it's, that experience. Absolutely. And I, you know, so I hear that story and I think of my own career trajectory of being, you know, labeled a generalist and a consultant yeah. and all kinds of, and I've dabbled in a million, you know, different things. And and I do, I also look back if I take the time to look back, which we all should do. And, you know, I draw yeah. the Venn diagrams and I can, you know, sort of be like, oh yeah, you know, I had a strategy, but then I'm like, really like the later part, like, nah, I kind of just, you know, wrote some stuff and did some things and paid the bills and. Um, then decided, you know, that I, all right, I'm never going to work for somebody else again and let's fumble around in this yep. and, and see if I don't starve my family. And so far, so good. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's a, you know, I think this is where like, I mean, a lot of people get like focused on, you know, what's my, what should my path be? And I think when I, when I talk to people about like, you know, whether they focus on like a vertical career path or that T-shaped career path. I think one of the biggest challenges today is like we need both of these types of skill sets in marketing. And and then what are you actually really good at? Because I think a lot of people kind of get to a point where they might not be either promoted beyond their capability or or they're just not actually focused on on learning all of the different skill sets and disciplines within within the marketing spectrum. So I think like the, the biggest challenge today, I think, is the horizontal generalist is being lost um, because folks aren't getting that exposure across the board. Um, uh, into the different types of disciplines and just understanding how the different P's of marketing actually can change um, the trajectory of a company. As, or or just like, how do I just maintain within my silo if I'm like a real SME, say in the performance marketing space, and, and but be able to continue to to drive that up in the in the food chain in terms of its value within a, a, a corporate environment because they are becoming so much more skilled and as more stuff is being brought in-house. So I think like the the big thing that I think people need to look at is like, how are we going to design marketing departments, not in two years from now, but in five or 10 years from now? And and what are these big changes going to be? And, and how do we make sure that you're developing a career that's going to be able to address that? Like I work with my performance team today and they're like, ah, it doesn't feel like everybody sees everything that we do. And it's like, no, because none of them will understand it. And so the, the, the generalist is out there talking about the stuff that you're doing and it feels like they're taking credit for, for your work. But you you are super valuable here, and in our path, because we've in-house most of our 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 activities, is that you know you are massively valuable here. So like your mission is to grow it, and so you're not you're going to grow like your horizontal capabilities by growing the sheer size of the the revenue and contribution and 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 that type of stuff that you're actually bringing into the organization. So I think as people are kind of thinking about career paths differently, they just need to kind of look at these these different types of trends and 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 where are these different types of skill sets and and how they can kind of grow them. Yeah, it makes me think that you have seen the evolution of marketing, you know, for pretty much from the, you know, uh liquor and guessing you know, advertising uh, madman style to, you know, sort of like introduce this idea that marketing is all about data, you know, and, and essentially the art and the science and the back and forth. And and I think that's that whipsawing is really, you know, the difficult part of what uh, ultimately you do have to have a, a soft side, a psychology side, human behavior, behavioral economics. I mean, there's so much there and we've we've sort of 
dataized ourself uh, out of those things, it's very reactive because we can kind of say, well, we A-B split everything and then we just look at the data and just choose the one that worked. But uh, we often don't think, you know, why did that happen? And mean, and then you wonder why sales and marketing are, are you know, sort of bifurcated into uh, opposite sides of the, the fence because that's uh, your salespeople are out there trying to talk to people one on one. And uh, that data makes absolutely no difference to that conversation. So. Yeah, it's it's super interesting because like, you know, great salespeople really kind of nail the craft of storytelling to the audiences that they're they're telling that story to. And you know, I think it's marketing's job to help kind of feed them that story. And then every great salesperson adapts it to to themselves to be able to then go and 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 be that chameleon within within the different meetings that they're they're talking to their folks with. And and so, you know, it, whenever I've been in the enterprise space, I've always tried to adapt that type of philosophy to make making sure that sales and marketing are working together to deliver that storyline. And, and it's no no different from like when we talk about whether it's like brand storytelling or just like creative or advertising back in the day. I think the the creative and the messaging side is being absolutely lost in terms of of to performance marketing. And so, you know, the, the great thing with my performance team is they're like, how do I, how do we make our creative better? And how do we make sure that that we're telling different types of stories and that we're not just A-B testing like some colors and fonts and a few small things, but we're actually looking at at how we're communicating and and thinking about the craft of of the creative um, so that we're we're actually pushing the boundaries. Like there's there's um, brands like Dollar Shave Club that I just look at and I'm absolutely enamored with because they weren't the first to market. They didn't have a better product by any stretch of the imagination. And and they just did better ads <laughs> that spoke to a, a, an audience. They they had and, and they lived it like their branding came from within around like a, a, a real DNA. They're going to we're going to be this company that's just going to appeal to to lazy men who hate to have to be treated like a criminal when they go in to buy razors at a store. And and they just want to get stuff delivered to them on an ongoing basis and it's going to be super easy for them. And we're going to deliver it in a way that's going to be be appeal to their their sense of humor. And and that was it. And it's like start it off, build it out, throw it throw it into social channels and they gain their momentum and then they were like and now they could buy network TV and all of these kinds of things and sold to Unilever for a billion dollars. So it's like it it, it it's remarkable to me that the power of advertising can still still exist today and still can be used, but we often ignore it. So like that old style of Mad Men still has a place. You just need to figure out how to how to how to utilize it in the right ways. And of course you're the Don Draper of Fresh Books. <laughs> <laughs> with with a little data put in there. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um when you look at this world of sort of unicorn-esque types of things that we were, we were talking off mic about like just, just before this, this interview, the Intuit announces, you know, $12 billion acquisition of email marketing for MailChimp. And we're just sort of going, hmm, that's interesting. You know, I want to see what the strategy of that is. I just wonder, like, having run from the $0 standpoint, a business up to, you know, like seven, eight figures, that's, that's outstanding, right? That's incredible. You know, you turn nothing into something. Uh, but you're just talking about like an order of magnitude that is almost inconceivable in this this valuation and, you know, sort of unicorn driven world. I personally will never produce a billion dollars of anything and I'm just fine <laughs> with that. So yeah. you know, I don't I just wonder, like, how do you even reconcile that uh, from, you know, early founder world to just, 
stupid amounts of money. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, things like, like what's going on with the, with, um, Intuit and, and the MailChimp acquisition, like these things are just like massive, massive companies. So like, uh, the part that baffles me is, is, is how do you manage the, the actual acquisition and, and the, the integration of, of those teams and the cultures and all of that kind of stuff first, and let alone the product integrations, if they ever do that. It's like, because they clearly don't, because Salesforce, you know, we're a customer, but it's like their their integrations are, you know, mediocre at best with, with any of the stuff that they do. So it's like, you, you, you don't have these high expectations, but you know, everybody's getting gobbled up by these the same companies. It's like you have Oracle or or Salesforce or you know uh, Intuit, I guess now, and 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 they're just forming these massive monoliths, which is kind of scary or kind of good because like having worked with a lot of B two B tech, and like every piece of B2B tech I've worked with has been bought by somebody and and they don't align to the stack that you have in place. So you're like, is this going to work? Not going to work? Like, how is this all going to happen? So I think the the good news is, is that within these kinds of worlds of like these massive kind of acquisitions and mergers and stuff that are happening, you uh, it, there's a lot of opportunity for other market entrants to come in and to, to really kind of change things because you know that everything that they're doing is going to slow down massively from, a, from an actual development standpoint. Um, but back to your original question around like the magnitudes of stuff, you know, I, I think it's, it, it doesn't matter. Like, I think it's like when you get to these things, like, you know, yes, we get unicorn status, but it's, it's great. Like it's an awesome milestone. It makes us all feel very good, but there's always something next and there's always the next target. And there's always the next thing that we're trying to do. Those are great milestones, but like, you're never done your journey in terms of what you need to do from a product standpoint or how you're trying to solve the customer thing. And, and whether I've been in like huge companies or, you know, mid-sized companies or, or smaller startups, it's, it's, it's really just like keeping it centered around like what it is that we're here to do. It's like, yep, money is always great at the end of it, but you know, there's, there's a certain amount of satisfaction and, 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 and achievements that we're trying to create from a customer impact standpoint. Great. Great. Well, I always ask guests, you know, sort of put on your your futurist hat, maybe for your industry. And in your case, I'd love to see what you think, you know, where's uh, small business going? Certainly no uh, small time of change over the last couple of years for the owner operator. You know, I, I imagine there's all kinds of, of pressure and just trying to make sense of, of things across, you know, unlimited space and time uh, pace of change, you know, the whole thing. I just wonder what you guys think about and, you know, from the future perspectives there. Yeah, sure. I, I think like in the, in the, in the, I think in the SMB world or, or just even in, in general, like I think there's like everything that COVID and this pandemic has, has done is really show the need for digitization of businesses. There is a lot of companies out there who are just doing things on pen and paper and, shuffling stuff around and are, are not organized whatsoever. So whether it's like people that need to go and get some sort of like funding or, or apply for government grants or, or whatever it is, like there's really been like a need for for businesses to, to understand what's going on and just have some sort of digital platform. So I think that we're going to, over the next few years, we're going to start to see a lot more, whether it's regulation or just like some stuff that needs to happen within this industry where businesses need to get more digital. I think all businesses are going to need to have some sort of platform to to run their business and and there's like a huge amount of opportunity because there's still such green pasture because the CRM platform 
platforms have all got huge, like HubSpot used to be the de facto for the small business or, or SMB, but but they've gotten a lot bigger and are trying to go more more uh, mid-market or enterprise. And so there's just like all of this this massive kind of group of SMBs that are, are huge, like, you know, massive in the US and, and worldwide that just need help to, to navigate how to start a business, how to run a business, how to grow customers and all of that kind of stuff. And, and, and they are just not being supported or they all need to be technologists and they're not. So there's a, a huge opportunity in, in this space to just help uh, businesses figure out figure out um, the the tech space and close that digital divide. Uh, in the marketing world, like I'm I'm pretty excited. I've I've always been a person who's got like my hands dirty when it comes to like understanding platforms and tools and and how things connect together. So you know I've spent different points, whether it was like get into, you know, social tools and ad buying or get into understanding ABM technology and how it's working or, or understand the underpinnings of how Salesforce actually works and stuff. I've, I've always gravitated uh, towards that. So I'm, I'm excited about like the next opportunity around like the automation of marketing and, and, and how, whether we're going to be able to have a, the dream day of where I can speak into a voice enabled Chrome box and I can ask for I can ask for an ad that's going to be perfect against a certain type of audience and overlay it with my brand guidelines and it'll spit out like 270 different ad variants for me to test. I think that would be be pretty cool and, and automatically book them with all the available inventory. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and just like how how our world is going to change and and what then gets more automated. But I, I think that that will be like, because so much of advertising and marketing is templated, how much of that can we actually automate? And then how can we then free up our minds for more creativity, whether it's for ideation, customer experience, grassroots and, and experiential type of activity, and, and really kind of, sort of figuring out how we can also do more customer connection. I think we're going to probably see at some point, who knows when, like a renaissance of the event. So there'll be like within the, the next little while, it'll be the roaring 20s of, of event marketing where everybody's going to want to be doing something face-to-face -face, uh, somehow. Uh, so I think it'll be, be some interesting times over the next few years. Great insights. I love it. Well, Paul, thanks for coming out. I'm sure we could do this all day. Uh, yeah. I know you have things to do and go run go run your unicorn marketing. And uh, you know, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get to hear how things are going over the next couple of years. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.